This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. You know, elections are such interesting animals. I mean, they could be unpredictable, as we know here in B.C., and you just never know what's going to grab the public's attention. Sometimes the most cynical political move or the most unrealistic political promise is that thing that grabs someone's vote. How does that happen? Why do we fall for it? Why do we make these irrational political decisions? Well, that is the topic of David Moscrop's new book, actually. He's a political scientist at the University of Ottawa. The book is called Too Dumb for Democracy, Why We Make Bad Political Decisions and How We Can Make Better Ones. And David joins us now. It's a great title, by the way. Yeah, thank you. And there's a question mark. There there, is. That's why I had to put it on there. uh, That question mark is doing a lot of important work. Are we too dumb for democracy? No. The good news is no. Okay. And the bad news, though, is that we're, we're certainly encouraged to be, uh, in part by our own psychology, but, but largely thanks to the world around us, the environment in which we live. And we live up to that encouragement fairly routinely. So what made you decide that, okay, this i got to dive into this topic? What brought you to this? It, it was my doctoral dissertation work at UBC. And, uh, you know, I originally came across this stuff in 2006, 2007, and we're thinking, okay, we have this idea of ourselves, rational, dispassionate, calculative machines, you know, just robots sitting down, taking in information, putting out decisions. We are so not those people. We are not those people. And, and yet that myth persists. So, you know, the more I read about this, I thought, okay, weird. How, you know, how does it apply to politics? What does that mean for democracy? Uh, what does that mean for the long-term viability of self-government, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? And, 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 and we find ourselves here today. Okay, so let's talk about some of the items in the book. It was interesting the way you laid out how, when we, really, democracy as we know it is a really young thing. It's like 300 years, so have we just not quite got the hang of it yet, perhaps? Well, yeah. So, you know, in, in one of the chapters of the book, I talk about how, you know, the, the history of democracy is largely the, the history of the rise and fall of democracy. And the idea of liberal democracy, so universal, in, deeply inclusive, based on, on robust human rights, um, is very, very new. And not only are we sort of not, you know, fully getting the hang of it, um, it's already starting to show some pretty serious signs of wear and tear. Uh, and, and, you know, we have the sense that maybe, well, it's like an achievement that we've unlocked. So it's not going anywhere, but we could lose it all. So how? What's happening? Well, I mean, in part, you know, I, I think there are frustrations when people don't get their way. There's a sense that the system is rigged. There's uh, inequality in some cases, um, which uh, significant inequality that, that alienates people. Uh, folks look at the system and say, you know, elites don't want me to run things. Is, is, is it really a democracy when, when you know, an elite class and a bunch of experts are making decisions all the time? That starts to build up. And when things go pear-shaped, now in good times you can manage that. In bad times, say economic downturns or say the worst of climate change starts to hit, then you're in big trouble because people lose faith in the system. Right. But then if it's a democracy, then the person who wins may not be the person that you voted for. But we all that seems to make people think that the system's against them if the person that they voted for didn't win. Yeah, I mean, there's a few things, uh, you know, when I look at a democracy, the first thing I look for is the first thing anyone looks for free, fair, regular elections. Without that, you're in trouble. But there's other things, too. Uh, Can citizens routinely participate in self-government in some ways? We're actually pretty bad at that. We're really good at elections, but we're bad at that. Um, you know, are policies broadly representative? Whether or not you get the, whether or not you cast a, a winning ballot or not, in the long run, do you get the sorts of policies that you want? Yes or no. 
In Canada, the data is a little bit mixed. It's not entirely clear. There's not a ton of information. In the U.S., we know that that's not true. The U.S. is functioning an oligarchy. Uh, and that's extremely dangerous because it's not just that you don't get the candidate you want. If you don't get the policies you want, then you start to say, well, what's the point in all this? Is that that idea of politicians? We think politicians govern for the greater good. We always say that we always hear that. Oh, well, you're not elect, you're elected f- to run for everybody. You're supposed to represent everybody, but do they? No, I mean, but they can't. You know, I, I've never I've met a lot of politicians. Uh, some of them are pretty good. Some of them are pretty bad. Um, <laughs> oh, some some are do you great. Name names? Do you want to name names? I would be very happy to. As soon as the book tour is over, I'll come back and just give you a list. Sure. Um, you know, but I've. It's not like they're in it for to destroy their country or their province. They care, and they think they have a vision that is is appropriate and, and is right and is good and is just. So they don't wake up in the morning and say, okay, well, I'm out to destroy things. They believe in this, but there's no way to govern for every, for everyone. So, you know, and I talk about this in the book, what we need to adopt then is processes that everyone can agree with, that they feel included in, that they feel are robust and, and meaningful, because no one's ever going to get everything they want all the time. Yeah, but can you get anything done if you, you can't even agree on a process that we're all going to be happy with? Well, so you you can do better or worse. So, you know, what I push for is is creating space for, for civic participation in political life. I don't want everyone to become a full-time politician. Nobody wants that. You know, the whole point of democracy is that you don't have to do that. We have right. other people to do that. Um, but what I do want is more civic participation in public life because most people can agree that when you give ordinary folks a chance to come together and make political decisions like in a citizens' assembly like we had here um, about a decade and a half ago right. or participatory budgeting or whatever it might be, people are really good at it. They trust the system. They like it. And they produce great outcomes. So, you know, building a little bit more into that, uh, into our democracy would be great. So having those things, not just at the will of, or the whim of a politician, but actually built into the system? That's right. Sort of institutionalized uh, routine. Now, that doesn't mean we have to do that for everything. We shouldn't do that for everything. But it would be nice that uh, that was a normal thing that we routinely did. Not only does that help set the agenda so that we're talking about things that folks want to talk about, and it helps make sure that we get a little bit of what we want, it also builds civic capacity uh, people learn how to do things when they're right. participating in this. They become sort of heuristics or mental shortcuts for other people to look to and say, oh, yeah, I, these are people like me. You know, They can do it. I can do it. I trust them. I like them. Um, and it builds trust. So there's all kinds of goods built into that. Where does human psychology come into all of this? Because a lot of times people will vote against their own interests because something sounds good or whatever the case is. Like Even when it comes to voting, we're not always good at it. We're weird ducks. We are weird ducks. Yeah. You, you know, uh, there's a lot of data in political psychology that suggests that many people will pick their politicians first and adjust their policies after. So when you look and say, well, how is it that, you know, that person, I don't, that doesn't make any sense. Like the likability uh, thing? Or they'll the just go, oh, I like that person? Or they're, they're, they're like me in this way or that way, or my family always voted red, green, blue, orange, whatever it may be. There's lots of ways that we choose our political affiliation. But the scary thing is, not universally, but some few folks will choose their affiliation, adjust their policies. And so when you look in the United States and say, well, how could someone support Trump, even though he's killing jobs and you know in steel towns, et cetera, et cetera, um, or, or for that matter... Um, you know, how can you think the economy is doing well when it's clearly not, you know, it's just because your politicians in power is that people's psychology will warp the world. It'd be almost like a lens that warps the world to make it all make sense to them because they want to hold on to that affiliation. And they want to, they want to justify that vote. They want to justify, I voted for this person. They won. Therefore I was right. 
everybody else was wrong. Yeah, and they're and they're committed. You know, I mean, one of the big takeaways from the research that I did was that we are rationalizers um, just as often, if not more often, than reasoners. Right? We think we sit down and we reason with i with with information about the world and with carefully reasoned um, reasons uh, instead of just sort of making it up on the hoof to try to to try to convince ourselves and not to mention other people that what we're doing is right or true or just or whatever it may be. So that's a huge problem is that we if we rationalize instead of instead of reason our way to political decisions because it's ultimately indefensible. Do we put enough uh, do we do enough homework when it comes to casting our votes? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, I, I, I don't know. Every so often someone will say to me, I'm going to read the platforms. Yes, but do that. And I was like, no, nah, I don't think you will. <laughs> you know? I mean, they say, but people want to make, you know, people want you to think that they're going to, of course, and I don't blame them. It's like if you were to poll a population after election, you know, and ask them if they voted, turnout's 110%, right? People want to be seen like they're doing good things, but in reality, obviously they're not. And there's lots of good reasons for that. But, you know, um, it's still the, the case, though, that just knowing a bunch of facts doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be able to make a good political decision. What a, a good political decision requires you to be able to think them through in context, right? So, you know, people do definitely need to learn more about these things, pay more attention, but they've got to build reasoning capacity. That's the, that's the ball game. But what is a good political decision? Because in the end then, David, my vote is my vote. And yeah. uh, that's my right to cast it however I see fit. Well, I would never take away someone's right to, do, to vote for whomever they pleased for whatever reason right. they pleased. I, um, you know, I'm trying to make a normative argument, argument about the way the world should be that says basically, you know, it's tempting to say a good political decision is any political decision I like. <laughs> but then some guy comes along and says, well, I disagree with you, and then there's nowhere to go from there. But if we agree that, okay, what about the process of political decision-making? What if we say political decisions should be rational, should be able to collect information about the world that's coherent, broadly accurate, true, that you can communicate to someone else, and autonomous. You should be able to come up with reasons for why you're for or against something that are, that are true expressions of what you believe rather than the product of lies or self-delusion. At the very least, uh, then we can um, you know, establish a, a sort of democratic space in which we're talking to each other in sort of good faith and in true ways. Wow, you're going to have fun this fall, right? When that federal election comes around? Oh, I can't wait to take a nap in November. <laughs> when it's, all, when it's over. all over. No, you're going to be busy until then. David is going to be tonight at the Brew Hall at 97, is 97E? Is that what it is? It, on oh, 97E 2nd Avenue. That's right. Look at me not reading it properly. In Vancouver, that is tonight to celebrate his new book, Too Dumb for Democracy. Sorry, with a question mark. Do you want to say... Too dumb for democracy? Too dumb for democracy? That's the way to say it. He's going to be there from 6 to 8 tonight. Uh, You can catch him there. The book uh, you can find, it's available everywhere now. David, thank you. Thank you so much for having me.